So, it's been really cool to see how the Holy Spirit's been setting up kind of the, the emphasis of today. Um, have you ever thought about your own life? Is this all there is? Thank you, Chris, for your honesty. There's a moment like, wait, I wasn't listening to that guy. What's he saying? Um, have you ever thought, is this all there is? I, I drive back and forth to work, do my thing. And here's the thing. No, this isn't all there is. When you're in the family of God, it's a global phenomenon. And so we get to, like, just part of what the way you get to be part of What's going on globally is, is from 10% of everything that we receive, we invest in missions. But even better, we have people in the family that we've invested into the world. Roger Nix, if you don't know him, was the lead pastor here for 20 years. Now he is gallivanting across the world, uh, which, which to multiple nations, to multiple churches around the United States, still with 24-7 and their international and national leadership as a seed that's sown around the world. And so today, he and then Dane Lucas, who's part of our team as well, are going to talk about what God's been doing through us, through you, specifically in very targeted ways for Jesus to be known in places where nobody knows about him. Isn't that cool? And so it's really cool that all these people who had words had no idea what Roger was going to speak about or what we're focusing on. And you'll see how it all fits that the Holy Spirit's been teeing us up. So let's, let's welcome the beautiful, incomparable Roger Nix. Thanks, bro. Greetings. Um, I stand up here today uh, representing not just myself. Uh, Dane will be up here in a minute as well. But we also represent... A beautiful team of volunteers here who meet every week, who pray, who help steward what God is doing in missions here. If you're on the stewardship, if you're on the mission council or you're about to be, stand up, all right? And give these guys a hand because these guys, where's Josh? Yep, the Louts and Vic. I don't, is Josh? Oh, yep. Mr. LeBeau, we've got, uh, and it's great. We've got missionaries in the house. So uh, Dane and I have been tasked with just kind of sharing a little bit about what God is doing through and in uh, not only the Mission Council, but some specific initiatives that we're taking as a church community. I want to remind you, I just got back from Uganda. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in a four-hour church service with children 18 and under. So if you, you know, feel like it's getting long, suck it up, buttercup. You got, you got nothing. All right. So just hang on. No, we're going to get through this. We'll get you out of here. But um, as Gal said, it's been a busy season. I've been on four continents in three months. I've got about 70,000 miles under my belt and I'm feeling it. Um, but what a joy to get to travel the world, to see what God is doing in the earth, to train and help equip pastors and church planners and disciple makers. And, and uh, it's just a joy. How many of you here last week and heard Drew Caldwell's message, man? Wasn't that good? Drew talked about being compelled by a promise, the hope of a promise rather than a burden. And and that we have the hope of the gospel that propels us and compels us to go. Amen. 
And if you hadn't heard that word, man, uh, go on our website, listen to it. And this morning, before Dane comes, I just want to encourage us because I want to, I want, as he was sharing last week, I, I already had known what I was preparing to share on just a little bit to just encourage us and challenge us as a body. And, and that is simply this. I want to build on that word. We're not only compelled by a promise, but we're also compelled by a passion. In 2 Corinthians five fourteen through 15, Paul tells us, For the love of Christ compels us. And we, having determined this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that the ones living might no longer be living for themselves. But for the one having died and been raised for them. Friends, we live for the one who died for us, right? We no longer live for ourselves. Thank God I don't have to live for myself anymore. I can live for something that is just bigger and greater and more beautiful. This beautiful vision that Jesus came to initiate. That is to live a life on mission that is compelled out of love. Love for God and love for one another and love for the lost. Amen? Sometimes it's just good to celebrate the stories, and the, which is what we've been doing the past few weeks, and we have more coming in the next few weeks. Just the stories of how ordinary people who are compelled by the passion to see his name known in all the earth, and how a small community like ours can make a difference in the earth by supporting and sending and serving uh, missionaries, Right? Whether short-term or long-term, from Mazatlan to Lebanon, from Papua New Guinea to Croatia, from India to Uganda, from Morocco to the UAE. It doesn't matter. It's amazing to see what God can do over time when we sow people into the harvest field, into the labor field. I was so blessed when I was in Uganda. Tim reminded me of the story uh, of this uh, beautiful couple, uh, Fatuma and, and Darren. And Darren was a felon in prison here in the United States. He's American. He had a rough past. He got out of prison, found Jesus, and he got invited to go on a short-term mission trip that was being hosted by Believer's World Outreach. Years ago, we launched a, a short-term mission organization. He went to Uganda fell in love with Africa, started serving there, fell in love with a Ugandan woman, (laughs) got married, and uh, Fatuma had been raised on the streets. She lived on the streets. So they opened their home to kids who lived on the street. And today, they have an orphanage. They've got 120 kids living there, all, (laughs) which is amazing. They have a school of 120, 150 kids and a church. Praise God. All because of a little seed that was planted years ago, 20, 15 years ago. Isn't that great? So we have this joy and privilege We're developing strategic partnerships in nations that allow us to train and equip national indigenous believers to send them to some of the least reach, hardest places to go that places like you and I may not be able to get to. And Dane's going to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But I want to say this. One of the values I love about this community is that 
uh, and its leadership is we have a high value uh, on the relational, right? We believe here, we say this often, that the kingdom moves at the speed of relationship. We're not perfect at it, but it's a key part of the way we minister and make decisions around here. But another high value that I love about this community is that we are also missional. We are both relational and we are missional. That doesn't just mean, you know, trying to get you out on a mission trip, even though that can be a part of it. But it means it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living, a way of being in the world so that whether we're in the marketplace or the medical field or the boardroom or the classroom, we're living with a sense of purpose. I love the stories as I look around this room. I see teachers and I see businessmen. I see people who are, are, are living that out. I see, you know, people like, like Jet Stubbs who has a mechanic shop and the kingdom of God comes in that mechanic shop, man. People live and, and, and get ministered to. Because if we're following Jesus, one of the things we know that he tells us to do is go into all the earth and make disciples, Right? And so while Drew, it's true what Drew said, that we are compelled by the promise of the transformative, saving power of the gospel, it's also true that when you begin to step out in faith and obedience, and you start trying to share the gospel with your family members and co-workers, when you start going across the world to the nations or just across the street to your neighbors, you quickly discover it not only requires a compelling promise, but it requires what my friend Floyd McClung called apostolic passion. Now that phrase is a a unique phrase, and let me break it down for you. Floyd was a, a mentor and a father of this house. He was one of my spiritual fathers. But one of Floyd's key life messages was to see apostolic passion restored to the church. The term apostolic is is a Greek word. We're all familiar with the word apostle. But the word simply means one who is sent on a mission. The reason we call them the apostles is because the apostles were scattered around the world. They were sent with this great commission that Jesus gave them. And we often hear that word. It has lots of different meanings. It can have all kinds of baggage. But at its core, it means one who is sent in the name of Jesus. Jesus sent us. He sent his disciples to Jerusalem. Right? To our city, to Tulsa. He sent us to Judea, to Oklahoma City. He sent us to Samaria, which is people who are very different from you, like Arkansas. Right? (laughs) He sent us to the nations. So in one sense, as Jesus followers, we are all to be sent. We are the sent ones. The question isn't whether you're sent. Really, the question is just how far will you get sent? It might just be across the street. And that is so good and so okay. In other seasons of life, you may get sent across the country or across the globe. But we are all sent. And my friends, there are some aspects of our faith or some aspects of of knowing God that we will never fully grasp 
until we are willing to be sent and willing to go in His name. Amen? I mean, being on mission with Jesus is one of the greatest joys of my life. My life gets filled with high purpose, and I'm on adventure with Jesus. Even though I don't feel particularly good at it, even though I I don't always know what the heck I'm doing, but with Jesus, I get to live a life of great mission and purpose, simply asking the question, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? God, what is mine to do and how can I join you? It's one of the greatest joys, but it's also one of the greatest challenges because it's hard. It it requires a willingness to endure and suffer and be rejected and persecuted and maybe a little embarrassed Have you ever had any awkward Jesus moments trying to share Jesus? Anybody? (laughs) This is why we need apostolic passion. We've got to be willing, first of all, to be sent. But secondly, we have to have passion. Now, passion can be used to describe everything uh, under the sun, from romance to, to hunger, right? Show me how you spend your money. And how you spend your time, and I'll show you what you're passionate about. But I think the best way to describe passion is simply this. Passion is what you're, it's whatever you're willing to suffer for. That's your passion. In fact, it's the root meaning of the word. In the Latin, passere means to suffer. It's our passions what we love that actually shapes us and forms us and motivates us and drives us and and compels us. (laughs) So the question is, what are you willing to suffer for? I mean, I've discovered there's few things that I'm willing to suffer for. I know that my family is one of those things I have suffered for. How many of you know children will make you suffer? Yes? (laughs) And as Jim Gaffigan says, all you get out of it is resentment. No. (laughs) But the reason you endure it is because you love those little rascals. And you're passionate about seeing them live and thrive and experience life. So our passion Our willingness to suffer usually comes out of our deep love and affection. What we're willing to suffer for. It's why Paul says it's the love of Christ that constrains us and compels us. And so apostolic passion, friends, is just the willingness to be sent and to go for the cause of Christ no matter what. Because he loved us and we love him. It's our willingness, like we sang today. To sacrifice and to suffer, to deliberate, a deliberate, intentional choice to live for the, the worship of Jesus in the nations. Do you know that is why missions exist? Because worship of Jesus doesn't exist in some parts of the world. We've been talking about worship, right? This all comes down to, to worship. Who people are going to worship? What do they love? What are they willing to lay down their life for? And if you have apostolic passion, my friend, you are one of the most dangerous people on the planet. The world no longer rules your heart. 
The empire has no grip on your soul. You're no longer seduced by getting and gaining. You live as a pilgrim going through life, unattached to the cares of the world. You're not afraid of loss. And your father's passions have become your passions. And you find satisfaction and significance in him. This is a natural byproduct of taking up your cross, of following him. Are you in? (laughs) If you're like me, some days I am all in. (laughs) Right? And other days, (laughs) I struggle to get there. But I just want to say it's okay to wrestle with this. Because this is part of the wrestle. Where is my heart? Where's my treasure? You know, I, I'm 62. In all honesty, most of the suffering I go through would probably fall under the category of inconvenience. Rather than trial and tribulation. Right? I've been on four antibiotics in three months because of giardia and bug bites that I have no clue what the heck they are infecting my body, invading me, you know, inconvenience. Most of us can be home in our own beds within 24 hours of being anywhere in the world. I'm not going to be shipwrecked. But I want to just say to you guys, this is not some emotional frenzied zeal But this is just an emotional, I mean, a sober-minded awareness of what we're saying yes to. It's not easy or light stuff, but man, it's so worth it. It's worth the wrestle. What I can't tell you is if you live with apostolic passion, where all it's going to send you and what all you're going to go through. But what I can tell you is this. If you choose to live with apostolic passion in your soul and love God and love people and love the lost, there is great reward. There is great mystery, but there is great reward. And you will be with Jesus and he will be with you. God will suffer with you, my friend, because God is suffering love. The cruciform love of Christ, a cross-shaped love of God. And may that be what drives our lives. So I want to leave you with this question. And may this question lead you into an ever, ever deeper love of God. What are you willing to suffer for? Philippians 3, 7, and 8 Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite Dane to come. And we're going to pivot for a minute and share some some good stuff with you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Raj. Proverbs 25, 25 says that like cold water to a weary soul is good news.
from a distant land. And I'm excited about my task this morning to bring some good news from a distant land. There's good news going on all over the earth. Uh, There's good news going on in our partnerships as a church, and there's good news with the last couple Field Hub missions that we've been on, so excited about that. Not there yet. We'll just start it. Slide one. Okay. Um, So this is a Field Hub report is what we're calling this. Uh, a field hub is something that we introduced, I think, two years ago. I was up on stage, and I unfolded this, uh, at that point, a two-and-a-half-year process of the Mission Council discerning and praying, God, how can we be a part of the Great Commission uh, in a really clarified way in this season of our church? And after about two-and-a-half years, we kind of stumbled into this plan and strategy that we um, have developed with the Lord called field hubs. So let me just tell you about a field hub quick, and then we'll get into the good news, huh? A field hub essentially is just an international missions partner, right? Just an international missions partner. The goal is that we are collaborating with people across the nations uh, for the effective, efficient, and fruitful advancement of the gospel, Particular, the thing that makes field hubs a little bit different than any, any other type of hub is that it's particularly geared toward unreached people groups and unengaged unreached people groups. The people groups in the world that have had little to no access of the gospel or where the gospel hasn't advanced and taken root in, in any uh, strong or significant way. So field hub, just missionary partners, international missionary partners, wanting to see fruitful and uh, the fruitful ministry work, the gospel expand particularly to new people groups, new places that haven't got it yet. Uh, they also, our field hubs also have, um, part of that strategy is uh, um, to not just share the gospel, but to make disciples, to establish and plant churches, make sure those churches grow up into healthy, strong churches, that can serve the nations, and then raise up leaders that can be employed from those churches to continue the task of the gospel. So that's Field Hub. Um, un- unreached people groups, I'll just give you a quick little uh, nugget on this just to make sure we understand that. But there's a total, a total of about 17,400 people groups in the world. Those are groups of people that have a culture and a language that are uh, distinct among themselves. Unreached people groups are the people groups that have less than 2% Christian witness uh, in them. There's less than 2% believers in those people groups. Since Jesus resurrected from the dead and gave the Great, com- and gave the great Commission to his 12 in the church, a lot of work has happened. And uh, it's exciting for us to get to be in the back end of that, we think. But there's still a lot of work to do. There's still 7,400 people groups that have less than 2% of uh, uh, Christians in their um, mix. That's about 3 billion people. A subset of unreached people groups is called unengaged unreached people groups. And those are people groups that have yet to hear of the gospel for the first time. There's no known witness. There's no known proclamation. There's no church. Oftentimes there's no Bibles. There's no access to even to those information. So these are people groups that are unengaged with this missionary effort yet. So there's about 5,000 of those people groups that still live on the earth. 5,000 people groups 
about 2 billion people that have not even heard the name of Jesus for the first time or have a chance or access to do it. So as followers of Jesus and as the church at Believer's Church, we are, we've wanted to say, God, how can we be a part of this process? How can we make a dent in this great commission? How can we have an inheritance among the nations? How can we partner with your heart to let the gospel go forth to all peoples everywhere? How can your father heart get more full of the people that you created and loved in your image? Jesus, we want to be a part of this stuff. So that's where this field hub strategy comes in. So um, we've got, we wanted to start this work and uh, yeah, we just start where we are. So uh, our heart is probably to have about 50 or 60 field hubs throughout the earth, I would think. But uh, Josh Mosby was like, hey, let's just start with two. <laughs> so, okay, let's start with two. Uh, so based on our relationship history with people, based on the, uh, the state of the world where the unreached people groups are, based on where we had access, we kind of came up with these two that we would start with. Here's a map for you of the unreached people groups. You can see the red and the yellow are the, or the red is the unreached. Um, so the unreached, less than 2%, the unengaged are also involved in there. So we um, wanted to have some field hubs that would make a dent in those things. So you can see 